PR Pro Cannabis Media. All right, welcome back to Cannabis Chat for Monday afternoon. I'm Jimmy Young from Pro Cannabis Media. I'm always joined on Mondays by Alyssa Merrill from flowerandtonic.com. And we talk about cannabinoid medicine. And now this is one of the best things about this, this new era of interviewing that I'm doing as I move from sports over to cannabis. And I get to talk with all these science officers and the head science officer, the chief, the CSO, chief science officer of ProVerde Labs is Dr. Chris Hudala. And Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So uh, how challenging is it to be running a testing facility these days in these emerging legal states when everybody needs their stuff tested? I'm guessing it's a little busy in the lab these days. We are swamped. Um, it's, it's always challenging to keep up with changes in regulatory uh, parameters, changes in contaminants. The vitamin E acetate kind of was a new one. Uh, we have to stay abreast of what contaminants are emerging, what our processors doing. Um, at the same time, there's more and more producers in Massachusetts coming online, which means the demand for testing is very high. Um, and there's very few labs that are licensed. So it puts a burden on the testing labs, which results in very extended turnaround time. So it's sometimes taking three to six weeks to get your test results back is not uncommon. Right, and I actually have heard this from some of my friends who are in the wholesale world in Massachusetts. Can I ask a question? You obviously have a licensed facility in Massachusetts, also in Maine. Um, does that license only cover one facility or can you actually open up two facilities under that same license? Um, the license is specific to the address. So we could probably uh, open a satellite facility um, in the same state. However, the cost for instrumentation can be well over a million dollars. So it wouldn't make sense to have two facilities in the same state. They're just so expensive for the equipment. Right. But if the, if the work is there, I mean, if you're overwhelmed and MCR is overwhelmed and CDX is overwhelmed, I mean, the demand, right, is there. Sure, I would, just, I would just build a bigger facility. A ah. bigger facility. <laughs> hence, hence the six open positions at your lab, right? <laughs> yes. How difficult has it been for COVID to keep it going? Because I know um, access to the lab is obviously very limited to those who are only uh, checked out and and licensed, right? Yeah, so COVID's been really hard on us. Uh, we also service the uh, hemp industry. So we have clientele worldwide uh, doing a lot of CBD-based products. I think uh, two things hit the hemp industry fairly hard. Number one is uh, we saw a significant increase in farmers and therefore an oversupply of CBD products, which drove the price down. Um, that hurt a lot as far as the industry goes. And then I think that the, when you think about COVID, I think people off of work spending more time at home might smoke marijuana, but I think that they're doing less of the CBD products. And so I think uh, COVID has had a more dramatic impact on the reduction in hemp products or hemp processing. If, if you wanted a job at ProVerde, what's the background that you look for on, let's just say someone coming out of college, what, what would you look for as far as requirements go? Right now, a pulse. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
we, we you'll train you'll even train somebody like me who didn't have any chemistry or biology <laughs> we certainly prefer some some um, degree of science background the the processes that we do take uh, some attention to detail some math you know uh just deep very detail oriented in the sciences so certainly we we love to have somebody with a a bachelor's in one of the natural sciences. Um, for many of our positions, we don't require extensive experience in chromatography or mass spectrometry. Uh, we are willing to train uh, people at all levels, entry level all the way up to senior level positions. And I'm, I'm gonna guess you're working with uh, talent acquisition companies, yes? Yep, we work with a couple of them. I, again, I'm, I, one of the things I preach a lot is the fact that the cannabis industry is a plant industry that actually will get more jobs, drive jobs. And for some reason, our politicians, this falls on, on deaf ears, at least on one side of the aisle, because they constantly say, I can't believe that the cannabis is mentioned as many more times than jobs. I'm like, they, it just, it, there's, a, there's a block Let's just say. I think what's really important to, to focus on as well is that cannabis isn't always about the plant. When you think about cannabis in relation to jobs, you start looking at transportation, you start looking at security personnel, you start looking at video equipment for, because all these facilities have incredible video stuff. You start looking at uh, veterans who can be drivers uh, or uh, security. There, there's just a number of different segments that are maybe the second tier to direct access to the plant, uh, lawyers, accountants, uh, administrative assistants. I mean, we need the same thing that every other business needs. Right, and yet you are the most regulated business, certainly early stage business that I've heard of in history. Absolutely. Um, I would love to talk to you a bit. I, I, you know, a couple of years ago when I had originally, you know, couldn't get the answer. I, I just didn't have a concrete answer about there was one thing, a couple of things I want to talk about is you're the person I would go to and to find out how to identify a safe product before I recommend a product to my family or friends. That's where I would go as a lab. So I've done testing there, but you've also just shared your knowledge. So my first question way back in the day was, will I fail a drug test if I use CBD. That's what people were asking. Can I get your uh, opinion on that? And then, you know, some of your thoughts on some of the uh, other misinformation and other products out there that we can clarify. Sure, that, that's a really complicated question and the scientific jury's still out on that. Um, you can find papers going either way. Uh, ultimately, it depends on many things. What's the product you're taking? Because many so-called CBD THC free products are not THC free. They may have trace levels that are below most labs limits of detection. So we have a, a number of different pieces of equipment at our disposal um, that can test THC down to various levels. And so if we use our normal testing we, equipment, we may not see it, but if we go to higher sensitivity mass specs, then we can see these trace levels. So it is possible to have a THC-free product that really has trace levels that can accumulate and cause a positive uh, drug test. That is one, okay. one possibility. So if, if you don't yeah. want to fail that, if you don't want to fail that test that you know you have to take for to be an employee, and there are people out there that have to take drug tests, obviously try to avoid. Uh, any CBD product because you are kind of gambling that this just might be the one that that peaks it or all. 
Yeah. yeah there's body chemistry as well. How do you metabolize right. it? It is possible. Um, they certainly demonstrated it uh, in, in, this, in the laboratory where CBD under acidic conditions, such as the stomach acid, can be converted to THC. So even though you're consuming a, a THC-free product, that your CBD can be converted to trace levels of THC in the stomach, which would then cause THC metabolites and uh, potential for a positive uh, drug test result. Gotcha. I've even heard THCA in the gut can be converted into almost, I've heard a couple stories of um, um, hallucinogenic type of effects. Have you ever heard anything like that? No, I mean, THCA can be converted by acid into THC as well, or, or other, other cannabinoids. Okay. Um, THC itself is a very complicated molecule. There's, there's over 30 different structures for THC. Um, the plant only producing one of those in any significant concentration. I tell you, I, I've never thought, <laughs> it's amazing to me, the science and the chemistry that's attached to this plant. The fact that you can dictate uh, which, how much C THC to CBD, um, what the terpenes are going to do to those two cannabinoids. And then I keep hearing that there's, they discover new cannabinoids all the time. Yep, they're always, the more research we do, keep in mind that uh, with prohibition came a, a, a lack of science or study or research in the cultivation or in the, the agricultural aspect, the production aspect, or the medicinal therapeutic health benefit aspect. There's just been no research for, for years. And, and that's really probably, to me, that's one of the biggest negative costs of the prohibition is the lack of understanding that we have today on the plant. But then again, it's an also a somewhat exciting time because if the green wave continues to move the needle, uh, we have 15 states legal now, there's already talk of decriminalization at the federal level. I would guess that that would open up serious research grants, hence more research and obviously more jobs too. Absolutely. That's, that's one of the things that when I speak to young college students who may or may not have an interest in science in general, when you can start correlating science or science ability to cannabis, all of a sudden it becomes interesting that they can take a cool, you know, oh, we're, we're dealing with marijuana, and but then couple it with technology and legitimate science, um, it's a little bit easier to get people excited or interested in science when they have that potential avenue. That's, that's, a, great, that's a great insight. I don't think I, I've talked to a few science officers over the last year or so. That's the first time I've heard that. I think that's a great recruiting tool in many ways, just the, the not so much the access to the plant, but the, the fact that they could play in the, uh, the cannabis world. I, I mean, if I was a when I was a college student many moons ago, you know, we were doing some serious lab work, but it had nothing to do with science, if you catch my drift. So I have to say, I think it's exciting, but I'm also more scared for the bad products than I am excited about the good. And that's, it's like held me, you know, from making a lot of recommendations because um, you know, I, things are just brought to my attention that scare me. And, and you actually had, you know, uh, recently talked about some concerns you had. Um, and I would love for you, you know, talking about synthesizing products and how they might, I, I want to talk at the most basic level about it. 
so we don't lose people, but how the molecules change and how we're not always, even with tested products, we don't always um, know what we're consuming. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, one of the big challenges with uh, uh, producers right now is this is completely unregulated. So people are just doing whatever they want. Um, somebody over, you know, the last year, they decided it would be fun to add vitamin E acetate to vape oils. Yeah, wow, wow. Um, and it's that's not even clear that that's the single culprit. We mm -hmm. see in vape products, huge incidents of pesticides and heavy metals, um, highly contaminated vape products on the, on the black market. Regulated products, if you buy vape products or other products from a regulated dispensary, those are tested to make sure they're free from contaminants. In Massachusetts, during the vape, the E-Valley, the vape crisis, um, our governor banned for a period sale of vape products. Well, that didn't ban the sale of vape products. It only banned the sale of legal, tested, regulatory produced vape products, right. and in turn drove the, the sales of black market products probably through the roof. And those market products are what are extremely concerning in terms of the level of pesticides, the potential for vitamin E acetate, things like that. And uh, so we always have to be concerned about those contaminants that are being, they're, they're a result of processes that are being done so quickly that nobody's overseeing it. Right. Exactly. So it's exciting. It's exciting, but it's, it shouldn't be done in a vacuum. It should be done with some kind of oversight. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to, in my opinion, it doesn't necessarily have to be regulatory oversight, but it should be overseen by a responsible person. So if a, if a producer has a chief scientific officer, they should question their own processes. Um, one of the things we see right now, which is probably one of my biggest concerns, is producers are creating Delta 8 THC from CBD. So there is the belief based on the farm bill, the farm bill clearly spells out uh, isomers and derivative products from hemp as being outside the Controlled Substance Act. However, there's some semantics. What did they really mean by that? And so when you're converting CBD into Delta 8 THC, um, because of all the different structures of THC, um, of the 30 structures, uh, most of these are not produced by the plant. So they're not natural products. Um, and that's where I see a big concern is that they're, they're producing these products which are untested on humans. They're untested on rats for the most part. Where, where is this going on? It, taking CBD and turning it into Delta-8 THC on the illegal market? Um, it's, it's a, I actually see it in the regulatory market as well. Um, but we see it, it's primarily in the hemp industry because they're trying to uh, market THC products that fall outside of the Controlled Substance Act. And so the belief is if you make a Delta-8 THC gummy, it is not a controlled substance. Um, and therefore you can market it as a THC product without regulatory oversight. Ooh, that's a serious loophole. That's not a good thing. It's a serious loophole, and, and uh, um, I, I don't believe that that Delta-8 is outside of the Controlled Substance Act because it's not the same Delta-8 that's found in the plant. Huh. So, so, so to the very, like, you know, uh, non-scientific audience, it's they're using the CBD isolates and, and using that to 
change it into something it's not naturally meant to be, which is then dangerous. We don't know if it's dangerous. There, there's significant potential for hazard. Um, you're basically giving an unknown substance to an unsuspecting. Um, when, when you market gummy bears as Delta-8 gummy bears, the average consumer is going to consider that packaging and say, well, this is the Delta-8 produced by the cannabis plant. Chemically, it's different. It's a different Delta-8. There's four different Delta-8s. Plant only produces one of them. But when you synthetically produce these, unless you you're have a pharmaceutical type background and um, it's very expensive and costly and, and time consuming. So if you're just doing this in your garage or in a, in a small factory, which most people are, you get a variety of Delta eights. You get, you get all four of them. You get Delta 10, you get Delta seven, you get Delta six, a 10, a there's, there's 30 isomers or 30 different structures of THC. And when you're converting from CBD, you don't get what you want. You get a mixture of everything. Um, and again, all these other isomers are not naturally occurring and not, for the most part, have not been tested on humans. Should, should that process be illegal? I think it should be, I don't want to say illegal because it is possible to do it correctly. It is possible. So in the pharmaceutical industry, they would do the synthesis and make the mixture of all the different structures, and then they would purify the one that they want. So there is a proper pathway for creating a Delta-8 THC product, but we've tested thousands of products, and I, as of yet, have not seen one that I would consider um, appropriate. Wow. I, I see here that producers are using unsuspecting consumers as guinea pigs for unknown chemical compounds. To me, that's the kind of thing that the FDA should actually be looking at, um, not pointing the finger and saying, well, that's over 0.3 and that is and that I, I, I'm not a big fan of what's going on at the federal government right now. And, and part of it, part of the problem is the laboratories. Uh, we were part of the problem because we didn't understand what we were seeing. And so when you see all these peaks huh. that correlate to all these different structures, and I don't know what they are, I can't reliably report on them because I don't know what they are. So I might just report a little bit of Delta eight or even a significant concentrate Delta eight without reporting these other compounds. As we start to understand the nature of these other compounds, we now put a disclaimer on there that there were many isomers or degradation products uh, observed in addition to what's reported here. And you just don't know what the effect is going to be from those products, right? Like vitamin E, yeah, or is that a bad idea? And that's- um, I, I think that there should be some, some oversight on this, you know, or prohibition of, I don't think anybody should be allowed to convert CV. So it's, it's not that different from, you know, um, doing a, a, taking cold medicine and, you know, making other drugs out of it. It's, it's the same process. Gotcha. And it that shouldn't be that, okay. that I understand. One of the uh, things that I've talked to other scientists in other testing labs um, is the amount of pesticides that you as a lab have to test for in Massachusetts. And that Massachusetts's uh, levels or numbers of pesticides is, is the highest in the country. Is that accurate? No, the number of pesticides is probably the lowest. So we only have to test for nine, but the level to which we have to test is the lowest. Aha. Uh -huh. 
So we have to have more expensive instrumentation to go down to be able to detect trace, trace levels. Uh, Massachusetts is increasing their number of pesticides. Currently there's nine required. Uh, I think they're going to 24, but the level to which we have to hit, we have to demonstrate that we can target 10 parts per billion, which is, uh, let's see, that would be about, the equivalent would be 30 seconds out of a century. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So very low Good analogy. Level. You've done so, this before. You've <laughs> made these analogies before. I know you have. So California has like 65 pesticides, but some of them are in the thousands, thousand or 2000 parts per billion in terms of what you have to uh, be able to measure. Gotcha. So it's a little bit easier to hit those targets. How much of the product that come to your lab uh, pass and how many fail? Is there a percentage? Well, from, from the regulatory side, yeah. I would say that um, almost all of them pass now because the, as the dispensaries or producers have gotten, uh, they understand how to grow without getting mold. Right. They're certainly not using any pesticides because they risk losing their license. I would say that the periodically will have a, a yeast and mold failure, but for the most part, um, I would say the majority of the dispensary samples pass because they've, they've figured out their systems, they've validated their processes, and if they stick to them, they can produce high quality product without the introduction of contaminants. From the, yeah, go ahead. From the black yeah. market, I would say that probably 50 to 60% fail for uh, either microbial contaminants or pesticides or heavy metals. Right. Now in Massachusetts, you can also uh, grow your own six plants per adult per dwelling. So it could be as many as 12 plants. How many home growers are coming to your lab to have their product tested? Quite a few. Um, they don't test so much for pesticides because they're growing them themselves and they know that they're not using pesticides. Right. Um, but for microbial, um, we do see a lot of failures for uh, microbial yeast and mold specifically, especially if it's being grown outdoors. It's very challenging when you have pollen and, and animals and you have birds flying overhead and bats. And um, it's, it's very common to have microbial contaminants on outdoor grown marijuana. Another key factor is how you cure it and dry it. Um, you typically need some fairly uh, sophisticated methods for drying, making sure you have control over the temperature and the moisture. And the average home grower doesn't typically have that kind of equipment. Um, and so if there's moisture that's not controlled, it's more likely to, to fail for microbial contaminants. Can I now, add? What, go ahead, Alyssa. Yeah. What, uh, you know, I, I know we have to wrap up shortly. What's in the industry are you most hopeful for and what makes you most nervous about the industry, I guess, heading forward? Is there anything that's really exciting? Any patients you think that are really going to see the best benefit? There, there's a lot of things coming. Um, we do see uh, different ways of producing cannabinoids. Uh, they're, they're actually growing it in yeast and so they're able to create very highly purified uh, cannabinoids that way. Um, so we do see a lot more synthetic cannabinoids on the market. Again, there's concerns with that because of the multiple structures, but some of the bigger producers are uh, producing these in almost a pharmaceutical 
manner, which means they are creating the correct structure, the, the phytochemical structure. Uh, so it is identical to the plant's cannabinoid. Um, I think the other thing that is very exciting is the different formats. We're seeing a lot of nanoparticle technology, which will uh, increase efficacy and reduce the dose necessary to get a efficacious dose. And so that nanoparticle technology also allows aqueous formulations. So we're starting to see a lot of beverages, five hour energy shot type products. And so that's all exciting. Um, the, the most concerning thing is the, as fast as we go, we, we are doing it without sometimes checking our own work. And that's where this Delta eight comes in. Um, we see people creating products. Uh, you, nobody intended the vitamin E acetate to hurt or kill anybody, and yet uh, we've had some pretty uh, dramatic uh, results from that. Um, and so it's just not thinking all the way through. Um, one of the things we don't think about in the cannabis industry is extractable. So uh, it's well known that packaging you can, you can spend all your time and money creating a beautiful pristine product and you put it in substandard packaging and your packaging can leach contaminants into your final product. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that will become important. The pharmaceutical industry and the food industry has wrestled with this for, for decades. It'll be no different for the cannabis industry. However, we feel the need to reinvent the wheel. So... Uh, interesting that you just said that. I didn't know. I thought it was unique to the cannabis industry. That makes me feel a little better, I guess. I um, I never knew much about this stuff until the cannabis industry. So it, there's a whole field called extractables, leachables. I always thought it was boring till I had some context to apply it. Wow. Well, I think that will be the topic for our next discussion for sure. That's that's right. Fascinating. Hey, uh, Chris, you've been terrific. I, as usual, I learned so much in short conversations with science officers. Um, and I still don't think I know anything about this plant. And I, I, again, uh, it's another reason why I like going to a medical dispensary where I know it's been tested by a lab like yours. And I have confidence in that experience. Um, and that always makes me feel better. And it's another reason why I will not grow it. And nor will I ever go back to the illegal market again. I promise. Good. All right, Dr. Chris Udala from the ProVerdi Labs, the Chief Science Officer. Thank you so much for uh, wrapping up our stimulating cannabis chat today on our live channel and uh, also on all of our PCM social media networks. So for Alyssa and Chris and Dan French, who directed this remotely, which is, boggles my mind unto itself, uh, Isabel and everybody here at Pro Cannabis Media, I wish you all a very Happy Thanksgiving. And remember, it is a whole new world of weed out there. So use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thank you. We are Pro Cannabis Media.